Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. This morning we are going to start out the, the last leg of our journey down the road less traveled. Um, disclaimer, this last leg is probably going to take about 12 weeks. Uh, so so we, we got a little, little ways to go still, but um, this is the last section. And um, this section is going to be more in depth than some of the, the previous sections that we've touched on um, for good reason. Um, a few months ago in a, a totally different sermon series that we were working on, we, we we tackled the book of Daniel, right? We went through and, and we, uh, not just the, the first six chapters, which is the, the stuff that we see in all the, the children's books, you know, and we learn about in Sunday school where we talk about Daniel and the lion's den, or we talk about the fiery furnace and, and all these things. Um, we, we went from there into the last six chapters of Daniel, where that's that's normally where the pastors kind of decide, well, we can just be done with the first six. Uh, <laughs> um, and we, we tackled the last six, and there was lots of, of imagery. There's lots of symbolism. There's lots of uh, prophecy that, that you look at, and you say, well, Matt, what's the answer? What, what, what is the exact answer? That, what does this mean? And, and in some cases, we, we just had to say, well, gosh, I don't know. <laughs> and yet it's there for a reason, right? If we're, we're taking that, that truth that we have looked at from the very beginning of this series on, that there are no wasted, wasted pages in the Bible, that, that God does not waste his words. And so if, if that is, is accepted as truth, and it is in this place, then there are other books in the Bible that have apocalyptic themes, apocalyptic messaging and prophecy and the, the one that probably sticks out the most is going to be the book of Revelation. And I think I can pretty safely say that I have, have preached here for quite a while. Um, I, I don't know the exact year count. I'd have to sit down and think about it. But I can honestly say I don't know that I have ever preached out of the book of Revelation before. <laughs> Jeff says no. And... If I'm, I'm thinking back to, to the different pastors that I have sat under in this place, if I'm thinking back to, to preaching that I have sat under in, in other churches, I can't think of a whole lot of instances where, where that has come up. But there's no wasted pages in the Bible. The, the book of Revelation is there for a reason. I had a, a proud dad moment uh, this week when... Um, my son was, he, he has, you know, a, a chore chart. And part of his chore chart is that he, he sets a timer for 15 minutes and he reads the Bible. And we, we let him kind of choose where he wants to read right now, what, what sections he's interested in. And he, he came across and started reading the book of Revelation, not knowing that I was talking about it this week. <laughs> and says, so well, okay, great. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about it from the standpoint of, well, Sure, he's probably really interested in the dragon and, and all of these other things. And, but without me prompting it, you know, he just said, yeah, I really like this book because it, it tells me what's, gonna, what's, what's to come. And 
it, it just cemented the, the importance of this book. That, that God gave us this particular message for a reason. And it wasn't to just have a, a really cool closer that talks about a, a dragon and all of this different stuff. It, it's there for a reason. It's there for encouragement. And as I was preparing for this series, and as I have been preparing for this series, there's this certain amount of frustration because sometimes we let this book be taken away from us. Sometimes we let ourselves be robbed from the, robbed of this, this book and of this message because we just see bad teaching come out of this book. And that's putting a target on my back because now I'm going to stand up here and I'm going to do this for the next 12 weeks, so I better not screw it up. But, but so often we see just terrible teaching focused on this book. Somebody that shows up and says, I know exactly word for word what everything in this book means. If I say that during this 12 weeks, you know that I did it wrong because I don't know what everything in this book means. I, I can't speak 100%. I, can t I will do my best to tell you this, this is now Matt's idea <laughs> of, of what's going to happen versus this is what I see word for word in the scripture. But if you look at some of the teaching that has come out, there, there are all sorts of things that have come out of the book of Revelation that are just broken. The ideas that have come out to try and, and just influence people towards a specific way of thinking. This is not a book of fear. I don't need to be afraid of the future. I don't need to be afraid of what is to come. As a follower of Jesus, this book is not a book of fear. This book was meant over the two millennia that it has existed so far to inject courage into the people of God. If we think about some of the ways that, that this book has been used there, there has been common speculation that the, the locusts that are talked about in the book of Revelation are Apache helicopters, drones in the sky. No, <laughs> okay. I, I can tell you that's not what this is talking about with, with pretty strong certainty. There uh, was speculation that the COVID-19 vaccine was the mark of the beast. No, I can tell you that's not what this is talking about. You can have your own feelings about the COVID-19 vaccine. If the government wants to track you, they already have a phone that will do that just fine for you, okay? So let's just, let's forget that. You get that one for free. So this is about Christian courage. That is what the book of Revelation is for. It is there, and notice I said revelation, not revelations, there's, there's not an S at the end. This is a single revelation from God to his people. It's not multiple. So we need to learn what this book is so that we can clearly understand what it's not. And so this morning, that is going to be the focus. We're just looking at the first chapter today. We are going to want to clearly understand what this is so that we can figure out, yeah, when other people tell us, well, in the book of Revelation, it says blah, blah, blah. And so that means this. It's, mm, does it though? So Revelation 1, verses 1 through 5, if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there. It says, the revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. 
He made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it because the time is near. John to the seven churches in the provinces of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is, fa- fa- who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So first of all, what is the book of Revelation? The book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter from John to seven churches in Asia. Just like Galatians is a letter, just like Philippians is a letter, just like First and Second Corinthians is a letter. So, well, that's great. What does that mean? A, a letter has somebody who wrote it. A letter has somebody who received it. And it means that it was written for a specific time and a specific place. It cannot mean to us what it didn't mean to them. That's how I know <laughs> that the COVID vaccine, the COVID-19 vaccine didn't just make its way into the book of Revelation. It, it cannot mean to us what it did not mean to them. This book was written for us, not to us. And I'm going to explain kind of what that, that distinction means. there's a letter that goes to somebody. That means that that letter is, is to that person, right? And so that means that, that there's specific context that, that is relevant to that person or that people group that's receiving it. Does that mean that I, as the person now reading that letter after the fact that there's nothing for me to get out of it? Absolutely not. There's, there's everything for me to get out of it. But if It is a problem when I start writing myself into the history of this book. When I start inserting myself, because I'm that important that I need to put myself into this letter that was written. That's not how this works. That's not how any of the Bible works. We're not supposed to insert ourselves into Bible. And you say, well, Matt, but God loves me. God, 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 he does. (laughs) He does love you and he does want the best for you. But That doesn't change what's here. It is not for me to read myself into the text that's written here. And the reason that it's important to remember that is how cruel would it be for God to give this letter to the seven churches in Asia and say, everything's going to be fine in like 3,000 years? Is that really what this was about? Was John really writing to the churches in Asia saying, hey, you guys are hurting. You guys are suffering right now. There's hardship that you're going through. Everything's gonna be taken care of in 3,000 years. No. There, there must have been something else to this. And, and we're gonna talk about what that something else is. There must have been another purpose. So this book was written around 96 AD. So let's, let's kind of go back to what we know, right? So uh, there had been about three decades of 
serious persecution experienced by the church. So as you, you read Acts and you, you go through all of the, the history in Acts, you, you hear all of these different stories of all these different people groups coming to Christ. You, and you see this phrase, and people were added to their number daily, right? And you're like, man, I, I want that kind of church. And, and there's all of these different peoples going and, and Paul's going on these overseas missions and planting churches and, and the gospel's being spread and churches are, are exploding, So that's, that's happening as we see it in the book of Acts. And in 65 AD, there's this governmental persecution that starts to happen that's, that's bigger than what we were seeing from the Pharisees, bigger than what we were seeing from the Sadducees. It, all of a sudden, there's, there's government influence coming from Rome, right? And it's in Nero that, that we see that. The church begins to, they, they still continue to serve. They, they still continue to kind of just move forward saying, well, it's gonna get better. The, the, this cannot last. And, and they're right. It, it's 65 AD, Nero uh, dies and he is replaced with a new emperor, uh, Vespian. Nothing gets better. It, it gets substantially worse. So 67 AD, Vespian becomes emperor. And, and for those of you who have some you know, idea of Roman history, Vespian is the guy who's dipping the Christians in oil and using them for human torches. He's the guy who's um, having the, the Christians be eaten by animals in the Colosseum. He's, he's the guy who was creating a lot of problems for the church. Christians were imprisoned. They were brutalized. Lots and lots and lots of problems happening during this time. Maybe it's going to get better, right? Surely, surely it can't get any worse than this. And then so we come to 70 AD. At 70 AD, Jerusalem is completely destroyed. The, the holy city is completely destroyed. In 70 AD, Peter, Paul, and Timothy are all publicly executed. The, the, the big names of the church are killed. I mean, and so you as a follower of Jesus are looking at this like, man, is this really worth signing up for? Why, why do I want to be a part of this? I mean, these are some big hitters in the first century church. In 92 AD, Domitian orders that all of the citizens of Rome are to come into his temple, throw a pinch of incense on the altar and proclaim aloud, Caesar is God. And that's why it's so countercultural for there to be this statement that's coming from the church saying, Jesus is Lord. It's completely counter to, to what Rome is proclaiming, what Rome is demanding. This is what the churches were dealing with. This is why next week when we look at the specific uh, sections of Revelation that are written to the different churches, we're going to see what those letters are. This is why they seem like they're struggling a little bit. This is why when he's writing to them and they're like, man, this has been a rough decade or two or three I mean, if we were there, we would have done fine, right? I mean, we're, you know, if I think back to, you know, some of our recent struggles, man, we were asked to put masks on and that was like a hold on. What must have been the temptation to just say, this is, this is too much. If you think of the peace of Rome, 
the political peace of Rome, if you think of the, the transportation, the security that came with, with just being part of Rome, if you think of the sensuality of Rome, there were so many different things about the Roman life that were, were attractive, especially when contrasted with getting dipped in oil and set on fire as a human torch. Well, goodness, maybe there's something to consider here. And if we start thinking about the fact that this is going on for a period of 30 years. 30 years of being brutalized beyond anything that we can imagine. There's a whole generation of Christians that this is all they have ever known. Think about that. Think about children being brought up in the faith during this time. It is a group of children that have been poor for their entire existence because as a Christian, you are locked out of the economy. They have been marginalized. They have been misrepresented. They are are ultimately free to be murdered or executed. And it is in the midst of that environment that the book of Revelation is written. And it is in the midst of that environment that the book of Revelation comes to bring courage and to bring hope and to say, there is a future. Even in the midst of this present suffering, there is a God who loves you, who has a plan for you, has a future for you that is better than anything you could ever hope for or imagine. Now, Let's be clear. Does that mean that 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 hope that existed for them doesn't exist for us today? Absolutely not. There is 100% prophecy and, and promise that is in the book of Revelation for me today. But we can't ignore what the message is to these people at this time, because that's important for us to know. The book of Revelation is a prophecy the, the, so often when we think about prophecy, we, we consider it as something that's telling the future, right? This is the thing that's going to happen next. And, and it's exciting because you see it and you're like, man, I, I didn't know this was going to be what happened next. And then it happens. You're like, man, God's real. He knows what he's, he's talking about. He's not just like out there on his own. No. Biblical prophecy isn't so much about this is the thing that's going to happen in the future as much as it is, thus saith the Lord. If you, you, you know, kind of go back to your, your King James for just a minute and, and you see that prophecy is so often started with that statement of, of thus saith the Lord, that the Lord says this. And so often we find ourselves saying, God, we, we want to hear from you. We want to know what, what it is that you have for us. We want to receive that prophecy. And yet, He's already said something. And maybe we need to ask the question, am I doing the things that he's already told me? Am I doing the stuff that he's already commanded? If this is is prophecy saying, God, we we want to hear your voice. He says, I've already talked to you and you're not doing what I said. We read prophecy throughout scripture and and the important thing to take away maybe isn't so much that there's something that's going to happen in the future, but more of the, this is what I'm asking you to do right now. This is what I'm commanding you to do in order to see my kingdom come. We, we live in the West. 
generally we, we think linear, linearly, right? We, A builds on B, builds on C. That, that's just the right way. And if anybody who thinks differently is wrong, but, uh, <laughs> but we, we like those things that are in order. The book of Revelation is not in order. <laughs> and, and if you try to study the book of Revelation like it's in order, you will have problems. It, it will not work well. What the, the, the easiest way to think of the book of Revelation is that it is a series of windows that we get to get a glimpse through. Some books like Exodus, for example, when we look at, at Exodus in, in the, the book of the Bible, that's, that's a linear book. It's, it's a linear narrative that we can follow, right? It, it starts with the, the people of Israel leaving Egypt and we follow them chronologically over a period of time as they're going through this, this struggle, this hardship, as they're, they're in exile in the wilderness, right? Where they're going through all of these different processes. Revelation isn't that way. There's maybe a picture that, that happens here that, that's sharing something. Then we'll see a glimpse of something else through John that's, that's maybe sharing something that happened 90 years previous to, to him. And then, then we're seeing a glimpse that's of something else that's happening that's going to happen way far in the future. So there's all of these different things that are happening. And so when we go through this particular study, it's important for us to, to pay attention to these statements that we'll see come from John. Because he says things like, and then I saw, or and then I heard. And, and he, these are the clues that say, okay, we're, we're looking at something else now. And, and it's not a, okay, well, this just happened, so I need to build on this to, to now move to this thing. It's, no, I need to look at this as its own separate contained event and figure out where that fits in the mix of everything else. If we look at Revelation 12, one through four, this is just a, one example that, that can kind of help explain what it is that we're talking about here. So Revelation 12, one through four, a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then Another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on its head. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to the earth. The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. That's a lot. Um, <laughs> so... That is a wildly different Christmas morning than what I normally celebrate. <laughs> Here I am singing Silent Night, and John's talking about dragons trying to devour newborn babies. But, but here's the other thing about biblical prophecy. Well, sure, it... it I feel pretty confident in saying that this can be applied to the birth of Jesus. There are a lot of other things that that particular prophecy can be applied to. There are a number of scholars that apply that to, to Israel. And, you know, there's a number, there's all sorts of different translations and interpretations that can be pulled from that. And the crazy thing, crazy thing, is that that's not necessarily wrong. Because there can be multiple 
fulfillments of prophecy. And that's something that we have to remember is, is just because we have seen a fulfillment come about doesn't mean that there is not a future fulfillment that is also to come. And so, well, yes, I think it's probably a pretty safe bet to say that this is talking about Christmas uh, celebration, that this is talking about the birth of Christ. There is absolutely room for this to have another fulfillment sometime down the road that is specifically referring to the nation of Israel. Absolutely possible. But what we see here is now John is, is having this, this time of prophecy, right? He's sharing in this letter. And to give an example of the window, he just jumped 90 years into his history for this particular prophecy that was shared. And then he's going to jump forward again in the next chapter to future events that haven't come about yet. So we're seeing windows, we're seeing glimpses. The book of Revelation is also an apocalypse. Revelation is translated as apocalypsis, which is unveiling or, or disclosure. The purpose of this book is to unveil that things are not what they seem. Or maybe better to say they are more than what they seem. If, again, we, we kind of think of ourselves, think of, you know, what, you know, my wife teaches school. Greg, you, you teach school. Tim and Janelle, you teach school. Uh, Western education is fact-based. <laughs> it's true. Whether they are correct facts or not is, is someone else's, uh, that's, that's a different purview for, and a different conversation. But uh, we are, are focused on fact, that this is the thing that we say is true, and the student needs to accept that truth learn it, internalize it, and then they move on, build on top of that for the next thing. That's not what we see here. <laughs> that, that isn't what we see in apocalyptic literature and apocalyptic prophecy. That, it just doesn't happen that way. Part of the reason that, that this book gets relegated off to the side, that, that this book doesn't get preached about. Part of the reason this book only gets talked about in cheesy 90s movies and, and one really long-winded book series is that it's a little tricky sometimes to start cutting through all of the, the specific prophecy where, where people are often represented as animals or historical events are, are represented as natural phenomena like earthquakes and floods and, and famines and all these different things where colors and numbers have specific meaning. These types of books, Daniel, Joel, parts of Isaiah, they all have this imagery and it's there for a reason. And you know, okay, I'll, I'll be that guy for a minute. Why not just come out and say it, <laughs> right? I mean, do you ever like wonder that? Like, why can't we just say, hey, around this time, there's gonna be this guy that comes and does these things. You probably wanna get ready for that. I've thought that before. Like, man, this would be a lot easier. A woman gave birth to Jesus. And now he's gonna go kick the snot out of the devil. And after that, everything's gonna be fine. But there is something 
that imagery does to us as human beings. We react differently when information is communicated that way. Imagery can cut through intellect. And, and let's be clear, this isn't manipulative. It's not saying, oh, we need to get around your brain to, to actually you know, communicate a message. No, but it can cut through intellect and, and through emotion and get to our imagination. And when something has a hold of our imagination, we, we react strongly to that. We, we react in a way that maybe just a simple recitation of the facts wouldn't really do for us. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. Mary heard from an angel that, that she was gonna have a child that she was to call his name Jesus and that she needed to go with, with Joseph to Bethlehem to have the child. And so they went to, to Bethlehem. There was no room for them in the end. And so they had to, uh, they had to find a, a place in the stable. And they, in the stable, they, she gave birth and, and Jesus was born and some shepherds came and they worshiped him. And it was, it was amazing. So there's that. Or we say, and there was a great war in heaven. And the dragon waited to devour the woman and to devour her offspring and to make war against the lamb and his people. But God protected his people and drove the beast out into the wilderness until the people of God conquered. I mean, if you think about what those two things mean, obviously one is no less important than the other. And it's not, okay, to be clear, we're not gonna like show up Christmas Eve and Matt's got like a bloody dragon head and a sword. No, but, but it's, it's two ways to communicate the same thing, but it's one, one is anchored in the physical reality of, of what we're experiencing today. And one is anchored in the spiritual reality that is happening at the same time. And, and that spiritual reality, when you hear about it, you're like, man, there's a dragon that's trying to devour me, my family, and, and, and my church. I'm ready to go to war. That's what that story tells me. That's what that, that brings up in me. Whereas the other one is informing my intellect saying, yeah, I know that that's happening. And, and what an amazing God I serve that he would do that but that's not necessarily calling me to action. That's not necessarily something that's drawing me into any specific space. But if I hear this story that there is a dragon ready to kill me, then yes, I want to participate. I want to get in the game. Imagery like this, and the reason we, we have imagery like this in the word of God is because it provokes the spirit at the deepest place. It, it provokes and it informs our thinking, right? I, like I said, it's not trying to bypass. The, the goal here isn't to be manipulative. It's to inform us in our emotions in the correct way so that I'm not driven by my emotions. Rather, I'm driven by what's true. And the fact of the matter is the Western world just doesn't learn this way. And so as a response to that, so often the Western world says, 
let's just maybe put that on a shelf and we can read that in our off time. Exactly. And so here we are. Here we are on, on our study through the road less traveled saying, you know, let's take this thing off the shelf. Let's blow the dust off and figure out what it is that we're supposed to be receiving of this. Here's the thing. Both of those instances are fact. Mary gave birth to Jesus in a manger, silent night. There is a time and a place, and that is absolutely relevant to us. But there is also a war waging in heaven for my soul. And I am foolish if I don't take consideration of that. This literature seeks to make us anchored in the present via unseen realities of the future. None of us chose to be here in this specific point in history, right? We, we didn't get a say in the matter. We are just here. I'm here. I'm living the life that I have been called to live. But as I am living this life, My anchor is not just set in the unseen realities of the future. I don't just have to look forward to that 3,000 years to come like was gonna be given to the people that received this letter initially. No, it's not just that. My, my hope is also anchored in the unseen realities of the present, of what is going on right this moment that is happening for my soul. For example, given what the first century church is going through, wouldn't it have been super easy, super understandable for them to say, man, I really just don't like Rome very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm not really super into this whole people group that keeps trying to set me on fire and throw me in these arenas with the animals that are trying to eat me. I don't like them. I don't like their laws. I don't like their government. You know, down with the Romans. We hate them. We don't like them. That would have been a super understandable approach to take. And yet God, through this revelation, is saying, yeah, you have an enemy. Rome isn't it. In fact, not only is Rome not your enemy, Rome is the instrument that I'm gonna use to grow my church in ways that are beyond your comprehension. How often do we maybe focus on, on what we think is the enemy when in reality there's something that is going on beyond our understanding? So after the, the death and resurrection of Jesus, we read there are about 500 followers, give or take. There are 500 followers of Jesus after his death and resurrection. The, the Bible says that he ascends into heaven and those who are present are, are worshiping him, but, but some doubted, it says. And <laughs> let's just pause there for a second. And, I mean, I, I appreciate the honesty of the Bible, but so, okay. We were there, we saw Jesus get crucified. He, he died He's out of the tomb. He's cooking breakfast for some guys on the beach. Seems like he's, he's doing pretty good. Now, he, they, we're, we're following him, and, and he's ascending into heaven. He's literally floating up off the ground into heaven. I'm assuming that's what ascending into heaven means. And yet there's some guy saying, eh, I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know, man. Just, I, okay. 
I mean, it's there to show that this is real life because that's just how real life works. So Christianity starts at about 500 people. 30 years of peace happen as the the church kind of gets some grounding. 40 years of, of intense persecution. And then around 351 AD, 350 million Romans called Jesus Christ Lord. 51% of the Roman Empire calls Jesus Christ Lord. Then you say, well, Matt, how do you have that number? (laughs) Were you there? Did you count? No, I wasn't there. No, I didn't count. Um, This is based on some some writings by an author named Rodney Stark. Okay, I'll own. Maybe we're, we're off a few percentage points here. But I think it's at least enough for us to recognize that the emperor of Rome, Constantine, comes and declares that Christianity is the national religion of Rome. Now, okay, what happens? You know, were they, were they really true followers of Jesus? Did, you know, and we start having all of this question. I can't speak to that. I wasn't there. But what I do know is 350 million is a lot more than 500. And it probably stands to reason that a good number of those were, in fact, true followers of Jesus. That's what I can say. But here's the thing. We have the benefit of hindsight. We get to look back and say, well, yeah, that was God moving. God had a plan. God was doing things that were beyond these people's comprehension. God didn't just give revelation to give us hope. He gave revelation to give those people hope, saying, hey, I have a plan that is going to amaze you. Take hope. Your hope can be anchored in the the present unseen things that are happening where I am doing war for you. Last story. The book of Acts, there's this story about the seven sons of Sceva. So we have this Jewish exorcist and he has seven sons, and they, they hear about Paul uh, driving out spirits, driving out uh, demons from, from the demon-possessed. And they said, I want to try that. Because apparently, you know, if you're already an exorcist, you, you have to kind of be bent a certain way, right? And so it seems like that's the kind of person that says, yeah, sign me up. I'll, I'll go try that out too. And so they say, hey, we want to do that. And so they go and they find a guy who's demon-possessed and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ, Paul's God, we command you to come out. And the demon speaks to them and says, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you again? And then the Bible says that the possessed man turns on the the seven sons and beats them bloody and naked, and they ran out of the house. Now, if you've you've ever watched a fight, there's that question of, you know, who won? It's like, you know, this guy threw a really good, you know, right hook. This guy had a good uppercut. And yeah, but that guy had the, the headlock and the body slam and the throw, you know, whatever the case may be. But If you come into a fight and you're wearing pants, and by the end of that fight, you don't have drawers on, you lost. You you did not win the fight. You have literally had the pants beaten off of you, is is what we see here. And so I, I share that because if we are going to be present 
if we are going to be effective in this present day in the spiritual realms, there has to be an anchor. There has to be a realization. There has to be some association that exists. I can't just show up and say, in the, in the name of, of Jesus Christ, Greg's God, in the name of Jesus Christ, my dad's God, I command you to come out. It doesn't work that way. I have to be anchored in that present. I have to be anchored in the realities of not just what I see today, but, but what God is doing in the unseen realms. So that's our intro to Revelation today. <laughs> uh, what I need to make clear and what I have made clear before when we've gone through the book of Daniel is, is there are going to be times where you're going to sit here and, and you are probably going to leave this place with more questions than you came in. And I need you to be okay with that. <laughs> because what that means is, is, yeah, you may come here with more questions. Pray and ask God to help reveal those things to you through revelation. Um, because I don't have all the answers. God does, and God is going to choose what he makes available to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. We thank you that there are no wasted pages. And God, as we, we remember that, as we, we recall that, that truth, Lord, we ask that, that your word would come alive, that it would, would be applied in every situation that we find ourselves, God, that we would be encouraged that we would find hope and strength in what you are doing and what you have planned for your people. God, we were never a second thought. We were never an afterthought. We were never forgotten. You had a plan and we thank you for it. Lord, as we move into the, this time of this coming week, God, as we move into the, the challenges that come through daily life, daily living, God, we ask that you would make yourself real. That, that we would see you as that God who is with us, Emmanuel. God, open our eyes. God, help us to, to take hold and ownership of who you are and, and of what you have called us to. God, help us to recognize the authority and the power that, that comes through the blessing of being called a child of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop.